Hello guys and welcome back to episode 7 of the In The Hub podcast with me, Neil Facker. On today's episode, we speak to John Reed, an accomplished broadcast systems architect and engineer with almost 50 years of experience at companies like the BBC and Panasonic. John now offers expert consultancy for your workflows with Reed Services. Hope you enjoyed this episode. How are you today, John? I'm doing well, thank you very much. Um, so we'll get straight into the questions, if that's all right with you then, John. Yeah, no problems. Good stuff. So, John, could you tell me some more about how you started within the broadcasting industry? I joined the BBC as a VT engineer. In the days when a videotape recorder was needed a room to itself, and the tape was two inches wide, and it ran at uh, 15.625 inches per second. 625 was always a big thing in terms of uh, broadcast videotape. And it had a head that spun at 15,625 RPM on air bearings. So every time you put a tape on the machine, you've got a screwdriver out and you tweak the machine to make it work. It happened every time. Every machine was different. Every tape was a little bit different. And you were trying to make the tape match the machine that recorded it. So you tweaked everything. And after that, I actually then moved into the BBC's Capital Projects Department. I went from being an operational engineer to being a, a genuine engineer. I started, stayed with them for quite a few years until uh, one of the redundancy rounds happened when the BBC decided that they didn't need to have engineers anymore. They could outsource engineering. It was not a good idea. <laughs> I worked for Panasonic for quite a few years. I ended up running the systems department. And then I moved to a um, relatively small systems company in uh, West London. Uh, I designed and built one of the first tapeless broadcast centres in the world. I then ran um, a complete broadcast facility until I, I took retirement, effectively, which is where Reed Systems come into place, because I'm still not finished. I might not be young, but I'm still not finished. I think I am able to provide help to companies that need someone that has a range of interests that encompass the whole of broadcasting. And because I started as an operator, I often have an operator's perspective on things. Your uh, previous positions have obviously brought you up to the point of read services. So what kind of, you know, made you want to go off into your own thing and, and start your own thing? It was looking around at what was available for people nowadays. I'm quite a senior person, really. And to actually sort of um, look at the systems now, I'm lazy. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate the honesty. <laughs> I don't want to do. <laughs> me too. Me too. I don't want to sit down and do um, the detail planning and wiring work and all these things nowadays. I can look at the very big picture, and by setting up my own company, I'm able to actually look at the big picture and actually help people to understand what the big picture is, and help broadcasters take that big picture and put it into terms that engineers can understand. As we have moved on to IT, the workflow is probably the most important thing that we can actually do. And if you actually look at it, the workflow is not just necessarily the broadcasting workflow, but it's actually looking at the equipment workflow. What equipment can you add in there to ensure that the workflows will work and make sure that the workflow will actually go through that equipment, make sure that the workflows provide redundancy, provide backup, make certain you can actually keep the place on air. Because as a broadcaster, the main thing we want to do is broadcast, i.e. have programs going out. What we don't want to do is have uh, black screens. Just curious, what, what is Reed Services up to now? 
before did you find yourself doing a, a really broad spectrum of tasks or would you often specialize I have never really specialized I've, I've always had um, a, a very broad view of things I'm providing uh, consultancy to some small broadcasters who have got studios um, studios and transmission facilities because they, they don't actually have any engineering background nowadays one of the things I can see in the way broadcasting is developing is that engineers have been not sidelined, but are, are not in the main flow of the programme making anymore. And what actually happens is that you find a company, they, they've got production staff, they've got a studio that's working, but they don't have any engineering people there. So I can come into to them and help them. Let's look at your engineering. Let's see what the problem is. And that's, that's the sort of things that I do nowadays. What would you say has been the biggest change or challenge within the broadcasting industry during your career? I can remember when I first started, if you went and looked in a, a production TV studio, you'd find about four or five production staff and six or seven engineers. And the engineers were working flat out most of the time because the equipment needed an engineer to make it work. Now you can walk into a TV station. You would not directly see an engineer. There'll be some engineers there, but they are sitting in the background. They're monitoring systems and they will come and sort out a problem when it occurs. During this kind of obviously the pandemic that's been going on, has your role changed at all? Has the operations, the day-to-day operations of Reed Services changed at all? No, I, I, I'm able to keep myself going because I can use Zoom. Lots of telephone conversations with people and Zoom meetings, and you can talk to them through, you can help them, email. So I don't actually have to be, I can sit at home, which is great for me because I, I'm um, slightly older. In terms of the, the projects, when you look at actually at the industry at the moment, I don't know of any projects that are really starting at the moment. But the thing that gets me is people are not even thinking about thinking about projects at the moment. And projects can take one year, two years, three years. So in terms of that, I'm, you know, I'm going to quite happily say I'm at home. I can actually talk to people about what they want to do. But industry has shut down on itself. It is... You know, the senior management are not, they're more concerned about keeping the programmes going and what's going to happen over the next few years. So do you think there's been some kind of like essential innovation and development that, you know, these broadcasters are going to be missing out on then? To a certain extent, it's probably giving them a breathing space. Which is nice to have in this industry sometimes. <laughs> it just it moves nice too to have quickly. in this industry because we don't usually get breathing spaces yeah, in this yeah, industry. Yeah. There's a virtual IBC happening, but it's still not quite the same as actually just wandering around here and actually looking at what the manufacturers are up to. As a high-level systems person, I actually like to go and look and see what people are thinking about to see that bit of kit there. I could use that somehow. I don't quite know how, but when I start thinking about a system, when I see something in there, it fits into um, a matrix in your brain are there, you know, two or three skills that you think, uh, you know, must exist within a broadcast engineer for them to succeed in the industry? I think the most important skill is being curious, wanting to know how things work. By all means, you have your, your, your specific area, but what you actually want to do is to have the ability to look at the other areas of the broadcasting. I don't want to be highly skilled in that, but, but I need to know what's happening with that. I need to know what the equipment is. So so the, the major skills, I think, is actually being able to understand 
what broadcasting is, what the, the reason depth of broadcasting is, which is basically get a signal from a camera into um, a receiver and what actually happens in that, through that complete path. So you're actually now got people that is, they're getting very specialised. You've, you've got people who specialise entirely in archives. They have to have an understanding of the whole of broadcasting. They can specialise in one particular area, but they should have that wanting to know about the whole of the industry, which is what I think I had over my years, and which led me to be able to, to design large systems. So yeah, like you said, it all feeds back to this curiosity, doesn't it? And yes. That can do absolute wonders for you in this industry. Yes. So obviously earlier you were touching on a bit of the soloization of, of engineers. Do you think that is then, to summarise, do you think that really is a problem in the uh, in the modern industry? I, I think it is becoming a problem, because especially when the ones that have been the IT backgrounds, they stick and they're IT. They're not interested in, in any other part of it. They're just looking at the IT side of the job. They don't actually understand the, the complete needs of the, the transmission chain. Uh, and I think that to a certain extent, broadcasters have been looking for IT engineers. You know, you have to understand what is happening within the electronics, what's happening within a vision mixer, the facilities that are actually happening in there. You don't have to understand the mathematics that's going on to it. You have to understand why are we mixing? What happens when we mix? What happens when we cut? How does the keying work? The principles that are actually happening inside those machines are important. And I think the siloization, I think, is really is, is the IT people to blame for this because they get fixated. On, you know, he's a network specialist. He's a router specialist. He's, you know, they've become so specialised that they can't actually see the large overall picture. And within a broadcast complex, you actually need to have people that can see the overall picture and say to a specialist, I think you've got a problem there. Yeah, I completely agree, John. So, I mean, for the people who, who are maybe not as sure, could you just run us through the difference between a broadcast engineer and a, a system architect? I know the two terms get tossed around quite a lot. A broadcast engineer is someone that will learn... Uh, broadcasting complex quite well. He'll understand all the, the bits of equipment and the interconnection of the equipment. He can maintain it. He'll keep it running. A system architect is someone who can actually sit down and listen to the requirements of the company and think, how can I actually take those requirements and turn them into a viable system? As a systems architect, that, that was not really got to me. I enjoyed actually designing very large systems and I had engineers that helped me and they would actually get down and do the detail work. The broadcast engineer is the people that will actually keep us on air. A broadcast engineer can develop into a system architect and that's probably the best way to become a system architect. So that's the system architect is someone that can actually look at the very high level. Um, The broadcast engineer is someone who should aspire to become a system architect. How hard have you found it to keep in touch with, with the ever-changing nature of technology within our industry over time? Uh, it's not as easy as it used to be. Um, I keep on trying to get to IBC. The problem is it is very much a, a manufacturer's sales pitch rather than actually going around and actually um, nosing. So hopefully we'll get a show in UK next year because uh, there's nothing to beat actually a physical chat to people and it's about going around and looking and one of the things I used to love at IBC was actually wandering around 
stalls on the edges because you're looking at what other people are. They've got this bits of kit there, and you, you can add all these bits, and you go, hmm, yes, at some point that may be useful. It is not as easy as it used to be, especially when I'm sitting at home. <laughs> yeah. No, I do agree with you on, on the, the point about the virtual events. It's just not the same is it as you know being able to wander around and and you know potentially bump into people have real conversations with people um, yes. as opposed to these kind of pre-scripted pre-drafted presentations you just get shown for a computer screen it's just not the same is it at all well i used to have a saying when when ibc was really big and i i was working i used to go to ibc for two weeks because i was a stand manager for panasonic and i built the ibc stand right panasonic many years ago my, my, my little saying for that was, um, what's the MTBF for uh, an exhibition? And people say, MTBF, mean time between failure? I say, no, 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 you're going to try it wrong. What's the mean time between friends? <laughs> I love it. I'm going to have to start using that, I think. <laughs> Which is what big exhibitions are about, is actually wondering around networking. People call it networking. I call it the mean time between friends. Just to summarise, how do you see the future for the broadcasting industry from your perspective? At the moment, broadcasting is in a flux. We are caught with the big American companies pushing their content into us. In this country, we're not actually doing the, the, the content as we, and the way we used to do it. And if we don't make content, we don't need engineering. But what we've got to make certain of it is that the, the programme makers are allowed to make programmes in this country and they're allowed to specify the equipment in need. There's still a call for big studios because the minute you want to do a, a large audience show with multi-cameras, you need a big studio to do it. News and current affairs still needs lots of studios. You can't sit with Zoom and do it. It, it doesn't work. And you still need production galleries for these people. The studio floors are simpler. Lighting is much simpler than it used to be. Um, air conditioning is much simpler than it used to be. But you still need to provide a good working environment for the operational staff to allow them to sit down there and make the programmes. Because you're often talking to people that are working four, five, six, eight hours a day. So there's still going to be a, a, a need for broadcast engineers, still be a need for systems architects. Uh, we just need to make certain that we don't let the IT people rule the world. So, I mean, John, final question, what lies ahead for you in the industry? Do you think, you know, uh, will you continue taking on systems architect type projects and, and that kind of thing? I'm always happy to talk to people about what I can provide to them. You know, I'm, as I said, I'm semi-retired. It's my hobby now. But because it's my hobby, I, I can actually sit down and think hard at it. And I don't have any particular um, bones to pick about things. I can be quite dispassionate about what people need. So if people do want to get in touch with you about anything to do with system architecture or, or anything you're up to, where can they best get in touch with you? My LinkedIn address has got, I've got my phone number and that on it. So yeah, it would just be John Reed on, on LinkedIn then. Yes. Or services. Yes. So email, that'll be john at services or read.services. Yes. Yeah, that's the one. Yeah, read.services. Yep. So I mean, that that's covered everything, I think, John, if you've got anything else to add or... No, thank you very much for your, your time as well. That's absolutely brilliant. Thanks,